0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses
1: and the people who lead them.
2: Hello, welcome everyone to The Learner's Show, broadcasting live to you today from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios here in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, Deborah Hildebrand.
3: And I'm your co-host, producer, Lauren Jenny. And we are here to Celebrate.
2: celebrate women in Agile. Okay, so one of the passions um, I have is to help young girls who want to have a career in STEM. So this show is a big part of how we get there, because as we highlight women who are doing amazing things in Agile, we create role models for young women to look up to and emulate. So the first thing I want to do is take a moment to thank our sponsor, Learn Agile. We provide Agile and scaled Agile certification courses, professional learning courses, and coaching. So you can find out more at learnagile.com. That's L-U-R-N agile.com. So we're really excited today to welcome Emily Harshman, CEO of Agility Consulting International, and Sandhya Sridharan, founder and enterprise agile coach for Green Elephant LLCs. Thank you, Emily and Sonia, for joining us today.
0: Thank you.
3: Thank you, everyone, Lauren, and Emily. Uh, excited to be here, actually. <laughs> Yes. Thank you very much. So, Emily, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, like your background and your company to the viewers? Absolutely. So
0: I like to say that my career in Agile started more than a decade ago at this point, and I started where most people start. So we're going to do this Agile thing. Go ahead and do it. We're going to send you to a two-day class. We're going to Go ahead and look on YouTube. I don't think YouTube was as popular ten years ago, but go and find out where you're. You know, go go look it up and, and just do it. And so I had to I had to experience what everyone experiences when they start going through transformation. And I didn't get as much training and, and and so I I just kind of learned the hard way a lot of things. And I thought after a couple of years, I thought I could help people do this better. <laughs> And so that's really where I come from because prior to that, I was in finance. And if anyone remembers finance more than 10 years ago, it wasn't the greatest place to be. Um, so at any rate, so I've been in nine different industries at this point over 10, uh, in over a decade. And I really love it because you can apply agile anywhere. So I, I started out as a small shop, I've grown bigger. And in the fact, the next month we're gonna go gold SBCT, gonna nominate like at least two or three more SBCTs in the next year, go complete federal. The, the world is just opening up. And it's because of this one reason why, because I have passion about, I'm not just someone who runs a company. I'm here to help everybody. I'm here to, you need help with this. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And teaching people to fish. So, so many times in the agile community, I can't tell you how many times I've been in conversations with customers. I train as well. I to, I take some of my classes on. I'm not just someone who passes things off to people. And so, when but when I have these conversations, they have these. It's 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 just really interesting to talk through it with with these people because they're confused. They want to go a certain direction. They don't know how. They haven't heard of you know. Even just with a safe curriculum, there's open space agility. There's so many different things you can tack onto everything to make your life easier. So that's sort of the play space that I live in. Is how can I make this more fun? Like currently, I'm teaching a POPM class for fun. Yes, I said that. (laughs) And they want to know more about LPM and APM, lean portfolio management, agile product management. I'm bringing in participatory budgeting. They want to know about it. It's just fun for me. I'm a big geek. My So this is always my most favorite tidbit I know. So they named the Agile Manifesto, the Agile Manifesto in 2001. What was the runner-up? What was the runner-up name? Adaptive. Sonia, do you know? <laughs> no. Adaptive. It was two or three votes shy of being the Adaptive Manifesto.
2: Oh, my gosh.
0: The whole point of this is to be adaptive. Yeah. So... We business agility is huge right now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So let's take that concept. People have been doing this for years. I've done it in marketing. I've done it in finance. You don't have to do, agile not just software development. They just now have been tagging the term and it's become a buzzword. So, I mean, I could talk about this stuff all day, uh, but I just know that this really matters. And Part of you know, I love working with Scaled Agile. I love working with large-scale Scrum. I love working with Nexus. I was at the Department of Education last year next to the CNN building. They jokingly said we try to not be on CNN. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. But <laughs> so they're like, we just don't. We just try not to have to be on that network just because it just gets you know, if you're on the news, it's not usually good. But they're still using Rational Unified Process, and they still use Microsoft Access from the 80s agile's been around 80 years so anyone that thinks this is new or this is this is up and coming it's going to go away in 5 years i have a message for you it's not <laughs> it's going be- <laughs> to so that's just kind of a little bit about me i really do think though that being agile beyond that adaptiveness on all the layers is where we need to go with this cuz that's that's the missing mm-hmm. element everywhere because how many times have you gone into a, been in part of a transformation, been in a transformation? People go, oh, well, we have the CEO up here. Um, and you know what? Just, I want our waterfall reports. I want my red, green, yellow. And have you ever asked people what red, green, and yellow really mean? <laughs> you should ask that question if you haven't. <laughs> but anyway, and then all of your IT teams, you should do that agile thing. And so that's the that's the missing piece. Everyone has to be adaptable, not just the IT people.
3: So that's my perspective. That's great. Thank you so much, Emily, for that. Um, mm-hmm. And Sandhya, same question. Where, you know, where did you get to where you are today, your journey, your background, you know, and all about your company? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Okay. Um, well, I think all the agile stories, the beginnings are very similar. I think uh, I went through the same hardship that Emily went through one day. I was told um, I'm going to be a scrum master. No idea what that was, but then kind of trusted. I went through this whole uh, uh, scenario of uh, denial. Uh, you know, the whole nine yards of saying, "I don't like it," "I like it," "I love it." So I went through the entire uh, nine yards, and I and then I started liking it. And then when I, on my next role, I went in as a scrum master for a new private project. That's where I learned how much of my knowledge I'm able to impart to the other team members and how I'm able to make things fun for them. And you know, this notion, like Emily was talking about, they want waterfall like reports, but they want us to do agile. So uh, this is what I want to like, you know, debunk. It's like, you can't do both, right? Like, uh, and agile is something new and uh, it's going to change, it's going to go away. That's not going to happen the reason is because the world is changing, In the world that we are there—it's so volatile. It's changing so much, and uh, the technology—it's like revolutionized things in the past few years, especially after Apple came in. There's product after product. If you don't have that business agility, if you don't have that mindset, you're not going to, you know, be there. Look what happened to uh, BlackBerry. Look what happened to Kodak. You have to be adaptive. Thank you, Emily, for that word again. You have to be adaptive. It is adaptive manifesto. So you have to be agile. You have to be adaptive. And my, the, the way I come in is like, I think my specialization uh, or my passion, I shouldn't say specialization, my passion is mainly around making things happen, how to make the team successful. Once you make the team successful and high-performing, I can guarantee you they're going to give you the best products or the best software development. And to add to what Emily said, when you're doing a transformation, it is just not software. It's just not like, you know, I'm just going to do this particular project and my entire organization is still going to remain the way it was 50 years ago. That's not going to work because it's a transformation. The whole thing needs to get transformed. So that's where I think my... Uh, passion comes in. Uh, very similar to both Deborah and Emily here, I'm also into SAFE. I'm not a member yet, but I work with a gold SPCT member. So I'm an SP, SAFE SPC co-trainer. That basically means I'm a step shy of being SPCT candidate. So I'm hoping in this year or next year, I get to that position. And I also, and, uh, I'm an I see agile accredited trainer. And there I focus mainly on coaching enterprise agile coaches and also coaching agile transitions because we are at the cusp of the change where organizations are changing. Whether people like it or not, things are happening and they they need to be moved in the right way. They need to be directed and coached. They all know that they need to go to this destination, but we are here to guide them to get them there. That's what I think. Yeah. And again, like she said, like my, i have a very small company and we are into training and coaching and uh, enterprise agile
0: transformation, but not yet gold. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just amazing the opportunities that come up because you meet these people after, and then I know Deborah knows this after being in the market for so long, it's just like, it just naturally happens. You naturally grow. Hey, can I teach for you? Hey, I can, I want to, can you help us? Hey, you know, after a while, you know, you, it's all search engine optimization. It's you don't, it's organic. Um, yep. all organic. It's all organic. And the other big piece, and I think that people really, when we talk about business agility, this is such a hot topic. It isn't just reporting when it comes to agility. It's lean portfolio management. Yep. This is like my biggest <laughs> participatory budgeting so let's think about this square peg round hole agile you know agile teams are product based if you have upper management that's waterfall their product they're project based their budgets based on projects when that project is done where does the money go? where does the support for that product go it clashes all the time and then there's going to be an annual budget it doesn't work. So this is why you fund value streams. This is why you have participatory budgeting. This is why you include people that give you advice and you look at it more than once a year. Yep. Absolutely. It's like everything. Yeah, it's taught. yeah.
2: Yeah, I agree Emily. Like I, I tell my students every time this is probably the biggest thing that you want to learn and pay attention to is the value stream um, budgeting. I mean, that's the biggest change, but it is it is the best thing you can you can um, implement. So yeah, it's
0: it's huge. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny because it gets everyone having to speak the same language. No I I'll, I'll repeat that for anyone. Everyone has to speak the same language. Marketing, <laughs> finance, C-suite, APMO, LACE. I don't care where you are in the organization. We all need to talk value streams. We all need to talk business value. We all need to talk OKRs, KPIs type things, things that are going to measure where we're at. Because otherwise, what's the value in what you're doing? Mm -hmm. The whole point of this is agile delivery, isn't it? It is value delivery. Yeah. We're not trying to see if the velocity is going to increase 20%. Who cares? <laughs> <Is there> anything? <laughs> I agree. No, but,
1: uh, the issue is they still think um, if you just, you know, transform the teams into agile, somehow magically everything gets transformed. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: yeah. But uh,
1: flash news, that's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, and that's why I think this. This I was talking with Richard Nasser. He com- he coordinates all the content for lean portfolio management last week and. I'm telling you, there's a really good book I'm reading, Zone to Win. And you know what he said? He said, I really like this book. He said, I like some of these concepts. I think I'm going to start adding them to the framework. You want to get ahead? Read Zone to Win. I am. That's part of being, running a company like this. And I'm sure Tati has the same thing. Is like, you have to constantly be learning. I mean, Deborah, how often are you constantly reading the new thing or, the concept uh-huh. the learning doesn't stop
1: it's a part of the continuous learning culture we have to keep learning yeah especially in the world of modernization like whatever we're what we doing transformation modernization with the invention of digital uh, devops and digital transformation every day there is a new thing that's coming in like if two weeks you
0: don't look at it and then there's like something new so and the next, the next biggest thing on top of that is DevOps, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. huge. DevSecOps. Very huge. Yep. DevOps is huge. I yep. mean, it, think about, so January, February, I was lucky enough to be in Paris two weeks before it got locked, before Paris got, France got locked out. <laughs> oh. Lucky, lucky. <laughs> I'm <am> so <laughs> happy I went to Paris. It was freezing, but I loved every minute of the cold. But when, COVID happened, what happened? Everything shut down and had to go adaptive. If you aren't adaptive, those companies struggle. And I even remember, okay, so February, everyone basically all my all my clients and all my employees' clients were in the middle of PI planning, whatever or PI in the middle of their program increment. And in the middle of it, they had to completely pivot. Because everyone went online. -hmm. All my hardware friends made a lot of money because no one was ready for it. (laughs) And to this day they're like, oh, got the next two years of my college kids' college fund funded. Because of this, because of this, that we aren't ready. And you have to stay competitive and you have to be ready for these big changes. So how do you do that? Right. And this is where we get to competitiveness and product and where agile comes in, I think. Because when you think about agile, a product life cycle has shortened in the last 10 years. How by how much has it shortened? Guesses? I'm saying football. quarter. Four times. Yeah. It's gotten four times shorter. If you want to be competitive and if you want to be able to change at the at the you know, on a dime, you have to use agile. And I and I think that, you know, I've been with so many different organizations and worked with so many different organizations, my company's worked with so many different organizations it's all different. And let me tell you, the more regulated it is, the more you hear what we can't do this. Yep. We're in a regulated industry. What do you say to that? Oh, I hear that every time I talk to somebody. <laughs> you yep. can do it. You can do it. And I, you know, it's so funny and I, because I can tell you that even it's, and it's, it takes longer. In the federal government it takes longer to do it. In regulated industries mm-hmm. it takes longer. There are some government agencies I work with that I'm not even going to tell you because you wouldn't you 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 would be shocked how that they function. Some of them code in production. I'm like, I don't know. I can't explain I'm
2: not this. shocked by that. I've been in public sector for 20 years, Emily. Not shocked. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> not so shocked. So
1: scary. <laughs> I know. It's it's scary. Scary. They they do agile and they still have a planning sprint. They still have a UAD sprint. And when I went in, I had the shock of my life. I'm like, no, this is not right. It's like, no, the contract is done. That's it. Now, can we do safe over it? And I'm like, hmm, yeah, we can. How do you want that? <laughs> so exactly what we're doing right now. So it it takes a lot to change the uh, mindset, or uh, like it takes really a lot, especially at the government sector. We see this time and again, uh, and then the companies that work with uh, government sectors like ours, like small businesses, we have to get our ISO compliance done. We have to uh, uh, do uh, work for the audit for the government. They also get audited based on what we submit to them. So we end up with, I know there's this thing said, oh, agile equals no documentation, but I'm like, uh-uh-uh, agile means more documentation sometimes, especially mm-hmm. the government sector, because we do agile documentation and we do additional documentation as well, mm-hmm. because of compliance and other sectors and uh, other issues that we have to take care of.
0: And I think it's really important for you know women like us to really voice agile coaching and agile transformation, because there are a lot of people out there that go into organizations and we clean up after them. I'm sure we can all have more mm-hmm. stories about this. They go in and they say they're coaches and they just tell them, here's the book. Versus if you're going to be an agile coach, you need experience. You need to listen. You need to go in and understand the culture. You need to work on the mindset. You need to teach them to fish. Your job is to coach yourself out of a job. And so I've never understood, you know, there's a lot of um, program managers that have 15 years of experience that now have 15 years of Agile coaching experience, magically. And it's not the same thing. (laughs) So my point is that we really need to emphasize what coaching does mean, right? And what does coaching mean to you guys?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Sandhya. Um, What is meant by an Agile coach and why does an organization need one? I think it's a a good question.
1: So for me, an Agile coach is basically someone who can come in can train the teams on like how to do things. But I'm talking about team level. Let's come to the enterprise level later. Who comes and tells the team, hey, this is how things need to be done. This is what your organization uh, playbook states. And this is how we are going to do things. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there by giving them a playbook, telling them this is how you do. But it is their responsibility to be with their teams to make sure they're doing it the right way. If they're going to make some tweaks, let it be. Let them go. You know, what? let them do what works for them as as long as the majority of it matches with what the organization wants. And once they've started performing well, now you got to back up and see how they're performing. Sometimes if you're too close to the problem, I personally feel that you cannot pinpoint what the problem is. You need a coach to stand back and observe, see what is happening. Kind of like what a basketball coach or a soccer coach does, right? Those people, they know what to do. They are the best at what they're doing, but they still need coaches because they need somebody to like tell them, hey, something here needs to be tweaked so that you can do better. So they have to, like what, what Emily just said, they have to tell them how to do better, how to excel. And this has to happen continuously. It's not like, For a month, I have a coach and then the coach is gone, (laughs) right? And like what Emily said, the coach should not be like, just because the HR changed your title from a manager to a coach, you're the coach today. You don't automatically transfer. But now uh, I think a lot of organizations have these coaching techniques. ICF has one, IC Agile has a couple of them. It is good for you. If you're a new coach, it's good for you to go to these classes and understand what is happening, right? When, When I became a coach, I did not have any of these things. I learned the hard way. So, so now there is opportunity, right? So I'm going to help others and I'm encouraging people internally. You, if you like doing it, come on, like speak up. You can continue to be the coach of it. You don't have to be a scrum. A scrum master can be the coach of the team too. So they can also guide the team. So that's how I see what a team level coach should. Of course, enterprise coach is a totally different ball game because they need to look at the organization as a whole, which is not just business and IT. They need to look at like what Emily was just take, uh, talking about, value stream. They need to look at the portfolio level. They need to look at uh, uh, multiple levels. Uh, right now, we're all in silos. I don't know when that's going to change, but I'm hoping that's changing slowly. But when that changes, I'm hoping that there is great change and Enterprise Agile coaches are in more demand because they need to identify what are the issues across organizations. I'm not saying they're filled with issues, but identify issues or areas where they can better themselves.
0: So that's where I see an Enterprise Agile coaches coming in. You know, and there is a big difference between enterprise and team coaching. There is. A difference. Because, and the, and the biggest thing is Whether you're an enterprise or team, it's asking the questions to get people to the answers. Mm -hmm. If you give someone the answer, they're not going to be able to forget get to it themselves again. If you talk them through the logic to it and it's their idea, uh, anyone that's married knows that if you can make it their idea, they're more likely to do it. Oh, let's go. Yeah, that's a great idea. Where'd you come up (laughs) with that? You know, you want to make it. It's like it's all this is psychology. The other thing, the one thing I think that's really missing out of transformations when you talk at enterprise level is organizational change management plans. How are people planning to change? Oh, we're just going to start doing this differently. Okay. You just caused chaos because there's now change fatigue of how we're going to deal with this. You have to address the change fatigue as much as what does the, what should we be doing? Mm-hmm. And these people need to understand it. So it depends on your framework too, right? So safe has a roadmap and, and an implementation, large scale scrum does 50 people by 50 people. because you, they say you can only change 50 people at a time. Who's right. I don't know. Tell me about the organization.
2: <laughs> right. It's all about the organization. Right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and so a lot of times, you know, people get stuck on that. And I think it's just really important. If you're interviewing agile coaches to figure out who'd come in your organization, ask them about their war stories. I have like hundreds of them. I feel like just pull where I need to, at the at the moment that I need it. But it's it's the war stories. It's how do you ma- how did you make this work in a difficult situation? I've been in some of the most regulated places. I feel like on the planet, and they were still able to do it and do it successfully. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and it just took a lot of negotiation with quality analysis. We talk about the FDA. They have a whole different set of what okay and successful (laughs) is and it has nothing to do with business value um has everything to do with study data a lot of people go to the safe model for one reason is be for several reasons but one is because it's i basically think it's laid out good 80 plus years of quality practices for you know Mm -hmm. that all across all industries and put it in a really great picture and organized it because the scrum guide doesn't tell you how to get 5,000 people to all organize and trace up. You're right. So then what do you do? So I think that's where a lot of people are, are really kind of learning on that level too. I don't know. I really, I firmly believe that people also underestimate Kanban. I think so people don't know Kanban as well as they should. I just want to say here, when you were yeah. talking about that uh, change, for,
1: like change an organization of 5,000 people, you know, I always sell uh, this thing like, I I always have an anecdote for this, which is basically um, organizations are caterpillars. They're moving slowly. They're all working well. And then they spin themselves into a cocoon for the transformation into a butterfly. And that cocoon is an unknown period. And that's why, like, your culture is changing. You're crawling, but you're going to fly now. People are scared. People are like, okay, what is going to happen Am I going to change the way? I'm not going to crawl anymore. How can I fly? I'm not licensed to fly. So all these questions come in and they get confused. And that's when the rumor flies, like 50% is going to go up be laid off. And everybody is scared. And I think that's where our role also comes in and says, like, you know, calm down. Nothing is going to happen. You have what you have. And once you become a butterfly and when you start come out and start flying out with colors, flying in colors, so And then what you're thinking is, hmm, that wasn't so hard after all. But that change, uh, whatever that cocoon duration might be, six months, a year, at least a year and a half, but that change is where all the issue happens between the company. Are we going in the right direction? Because we have not seen success yet. So that's that's one thing I wanted to tell you but when you said about organizational change and everything. I always use this. anecdote. of course, you're going to start flying. You're scared. Oh, yeah. And how do you
0: measure success? Oh, yeah. How do you measure success? Oh, I'm the only way to measure success. I know my favorites are when upper management says so I was I was (laughs) I was working with an organization. And so they brought you know, they brought me in at like the They just had started about three months ago and realized, oh, we can't do this. They came up with like five stages of when it's okay to start scaling your teams. And I said, is there anywhere that says you have to have a working agreement? They said, no, what's that? And I was like, that's step one. (laughs) So, and then they started putting metrics on each one of these things. And how often do people go to story points? They use story points to beat teams up. Mm-hmm. And then teams game it. I can't tell you how often I hear a teams and, and I know this will just really annoy some people on the call, but the component train I was talking to, the component train, it was a component train of engineers <laughs> that blocked the whole organization. Really awesome strategy. Anyway, I was talking with them and they had been so beaten up with story points that at the end of every sprint on each one of the trains on, each one of the teams on the train, if they had like um, three points left, they would just change the story, close that one and create a new one with new acceptance criteria that didn't get done because they got beaten up. And then they were using that data to forecast. <laughs> it was like, you know, I have I have seen
1: like where directors come would come to me and say, the velocity, it's not going up. It's. Why is it stagnant all of a sudden? I'm like, because there are still the same amount of people and only so many hours in a day that they can work. That's why the velocity at one stage becomes stagnant. They're like, no, it's a job. It has to keep going up. I'm like, no, that's, that's, that doesn't happen. So what teams started doing was started inflating the numbers. <laughs>
2: So this, this sounds so familiar, it, it, and this happens everywhere with estimating. So what do you guys, I mean, you guys work with the, the executive level. What do you, how do you coach them out of this and help their teams just, you know, provide value rather than trying to gain the numbers?
1: I basically tell them what is the, if you take a program, right, what is, when, do, when would you consider this program to be successful? They might have like certain guidelines, right? So, like, if we have met these, then we are successful. Forget the points. The points are just like an estimation, it's like a tool to help them assess how long it takes or how big or how complex the story is. It shouldn't be a success factor. You should talk about what is it, what are the key things that makes a program successful. If we have attained that for the product, then we are successful. Has it gone to the market? Are the people using it? Have your customers gained value out of it? Have you gotten your ROI out of it? That's it. That's all needs to matter. You don't have to go deep in. It doesn't matter if it's three points or two points. You don't have to grill them for that. Your success is at a different level. That's how
0: you should see it. But somehow, I think the middle management loses track of it. I really love there's an article that I uh, it, it talks about like that's 30 things that if you're in middle level management, what you should do, because that's always a question when we go when me or any of my mm-hmm. people go in. It's like I'm mid-level management. I'm not sitting with the team. I now have to write a performance report on this someone for bonuses this year. How do I do that? And these questions of I can't be with the team. How do I know what's going on? And there's a whole list of things that as a manager you can do to help support your team. And that's what you need to be doing. And whatever they need, if you can help them grow in their career, if they need it, if they need some more training on Pega, maybe they're going to do more AI work, whatever it is, help them get there. <laughs> There's one large-scale scrum thing I really like that they did. They made HR job descriptions objective, not subjective. So if you're going to move from developer one to two, you maybe... If you want to be a developer two, you need to have three skills. If you're going to move to developer three, you need to have four skills. So it's more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's more, um, it's less what you think of that person or their performance. It's more static. Like if I want to move up, I know I have to have this. I can check the box then I can move up.
2: It's more based on competency rather Mm -hmm. than how many points they've done in it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: In a right. week. <laughs> yeah. I remember I, I learned that lesson really young whenever was, I um, was working full-time for other people because the first time I made this really amazing goal, right? I did this really amazing thing and I met it. So I got a meets. <laughs> so the next year I put my, my goals is really simple and then I just blew them out of the water because I knew I would. And then I got an exceeds. So my point in saying all this is, <laughs> is that um, you really, when you start looking and thinking about success factors and things like that, if you can start taking less of the focus on mid-level management, focus on the teams and making it so people have an idea of, if I want to move up, I know what competencies I know I need to add and then I can move up. Mm-hmm. And so large scale Scrum really takes it to like 80 to 100 people per one manager because they it's easy. So that's mm-hmm. changing to Agile HR in a sense. Right. So it's agile's affecting everything in this world. And so eventually it's kind of like if everyone in your house is eating salmon and you're the only one eating pizza, eventually you're going to eat what they are. Mm. So I don't know. That's kind of my two th- th- thoughts on that. But I, the other thing I think that really people have a misconception of is that they want to see results right away. Oh, yeah. How often do you see that, right? It's six months. Why aren't they getting it? <laughs> it's it it's gets a coincidence right You need to wait for the butterfly to fly out. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you start talking about success, you you have to really go back to the burning platform. Why are people doing this? Why are you going agile? I asked a customer once that. And he said, well, because with some of our contractors, we're using agile okay. they wanna, and they want to use safe. So that's why we're using it. Not because they want to, not because there's any purpose for it. It's because someone else wanted to use it.
3: They were going to hire to do work. Mm -hmm. And Lauren, Lauren, did you have a question? Yeah. So I just wanted to ask, um, I guess both of you too. So what's like the first thing you do when a new client asks you um, to help them with the transformation? How is it that different from what they expected, you know?
1: They always tell me that, we are already a job, right? So we just have like 10%. That's not a job. We just needs to transform. All we need is some training to get on the sale. I'm like, okay, but can I talk to your team? No, all we need is training. But when we talk to the team, when we do our basic agility assessment, it's totally different. And you you find like teams that know what they are doing and you find teams who are doing the ceremonies, but That's it. They do the ceremonies, but they are not agile. They're still waterfall. And there are different levels. And we are like, uh, we need to assess the agility of the company. We need to assess the agility of the teams to know what kind of training your uh, organization needs. I cannot go give a POPM to everybody. It doesn't even make sense. Just because somebody wanted me to do it. So, of course, I would make a lot of money with that, but that's about it, but nothing else. So it's very important. Uh, They would say training, but I would ask, tell them, this is what I found out, and this is what we need to do. And I would always like to create a roadmap and give it to them. What we found, similar business analysis principle, right? Current state, future state. I know what your future state is, you already told me, but (laughs) I need to assess your current state to know what I'm changing. So simple uh, principle. So this is what I would, I would tell them. Mostly they don't like it, but then they turn around and come.
2: Most of them Most of them will start out with training, right? They'll yeah, think that they, training just, training. they just need training.
1: <laughs> lunch and lunch. How about lunch and lunch? How about like two hours? <laughs> like I can do everything. Yeah. yeah. But that's not going to help them. Coming yeah. to a one-hour Scrum Master training is not equivalent to a two-day training or it's not equivalent to a coach being with you during your ceremonies helping you and your team what to do so there are three different things so it's if, if you want just a
0: one on one there's youtube so. <laughs> yeah it's so new you know a lot of times too and it they do want that training and the most successful mm-hmm. times i have had i've had personally had transformations was when i had the time to do the assessment before in the, the trainings. Cause then I understood the organization. I understood their issues, their culture. And that's what make public, that's what make public training so interesting is because you're going in, you're like, it could be mm-hmm. people from four different industries <laughs> and you have to be able to treat all of them the
1: same. And public training yeah, it, is very interesting because you don't know what kind of issues they bring up and like everyone is different. So <laughs> I love answering those questions.
0: Yeah, and it's, and I think, and that's what the interesting part about training is yes, you get certifications and I think that's fantastic. But more importantly, adult learning theory, can you apply what you learn? Mm. Do you really understand it? Because if you can apply it, you get it. Yep. And, and so part of the, when, when I, my company has like a 90% passing ratio and a 4.7 out of five feedback ratio across all my classes and my instructors. Because the focus is on how can you apply it? You're here for two, three days with us. What can you do with this information to make your life easier? Even when, you know, I teach and then other people I know teach Kanban. And so anyway, I was in Maryland and I was teaching Kanban with Tira Price. I think it was. And um, I go back the next week. This guy, one guy says, who is one of the most skeptical guys in the classes? You never know. He said, you know, I started doing a personal Kanban and I'm starting to affect the rest of my team. And now they're thinking in a Kanban mindset. That's awesome. You just don't know what the impact you're going to have <laughs> until you say, what, what are you going to do today to, to make a difference with this information?
2: So this is a question that probably comes up. How will they know if Agile will work for their organization? Do you ever get that question? It's a good question. I like that it is a really good question.
0: <laughs> How will I know if Agile will work? And so, yeah. first well, they- of all, I'm going to go back to the burning platform. What, it is, what is it about Agile? that you are trying to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the organizations that I've worked with in the past, they had like a million dollars in fines from a client because they used Waterfall and what they ended up producing broke several business regulations. So they didn't deliver on time. So it cost them a lot of money. So they went Agile. That's their burning platform. So if you don't have a strong burning platform, you're probably not You may not be as successful because you're not as motivated. Yeah. And so my question, so if you have a really strong platform and you're willing to be adaptable at all levels, do you hear me? At all (laughs) levels, not just the team (laughs) level, (laughs) all levels, then you have a shot at it. But if you're just doing it because the contractors you're hiring want to use it and, or, you know, you just heard it's a buzzword and you want quicker delivery. There's there's a learning curve. <laughs> it
3: doesn't happen overnight. That's,
0: what are your thoughts on
3: that? Yes, yeah, Sonia. I, I'm wondering like what you think about it. <laughs> uh, like pretty much what Emily thinks, because uh, people are always trying to get out of
1: agile primarily because they think they're going to get overworked. I don't know how many of you, Deborah and Emily, I'm sure you must have heard it throughout on YouTube that agile equals more work. That means overtime. So that is a wrong misconception. And I'm like, why would you think that way? Because when I was in my Agile project, I would basically make sure the team is not overworking. It's five o'clock, you can go home. Unless there is a production that happens at 8 eight p.m. in the evening where you have to deploy something, you don't have to overwork. And I always tell them, and I, I, I used to get comparisons when I was a Scrum Master. How come the other project is doing more? I'm like, it's all about planning, it's all about taking the work that the team can finish and giving quality work because we are not uh, dumping something over to testing or to UAT without testing it. We are doing the work and it's not coming back to us as a defect time and again. We're doing the work right and sending it across. We're taking the time to finish. So that needs to happen. So I think that is the field that is there. Like there's a stigma attached everywhere saying, Agile equals more work, agile equals extra hours, agile equals uh points, and it's all confusing. I think we need to get away from that. It's kind of old at this point of time. It's no longer extra work. Just like how they say agile is only for software developers. I'm hearing that time and again. Look, we are not software developers, we are engineers. I'm like, it's okay. We can apply it everywhere.
0: Yeah, another one of those misconceptions that are scrum masters or project project managers. Mm -hmm. They're not the same thing, for the record. (laughs) They're very different. And not all project managers can become scrum masters. Some can, some can't make the the, the leap. I know some, uh, there was a scrum master I knew or a project manager I knew that went to release train engineer and then was starting to tell their teams to document everything. (laughs) like they were documenting their standups, they were documenting their backlog refinement sessions and who voted what. It's like did you miss the whole point? <laughs> no, those are all not things you should do. And so that this is not project, this is not a project that you're managing. You have no authority. So people that have issues with being able to influence people have issues being a scrum master. So the other thing I want to add
1: here, had here, right, with COVID happening and everybody being remote. So there is this sudden uh, urge from all the organizations saying, okay, what did you do today? And they take it literally and they want us to document and send it out. Uh, okay, what are the consultants doing? What are you doing? What it be like, uh, we are wearing in the stand-up. Okay, what did you discuss in the standup? I'm like, I'm not going to write this in my time, card. So people are getting anxious, but they need to realize that The way people have started working, there is, for me at least, there is no delineation between work hours and private hours, personal hours. It's all the same. Doesn't matter. I'm cooking, I turn back and I still chat. I still respond to emails, even if it's six, seven, eight in the night. So it doesn't matter. So I don't think they should be extremely uh, overworked about the fact that people are not working hard. I think people are... So they need to give them that leeway. These are the same people whom you were working with for years or months before COVID happened. So why would they suddenly change? They still have their accountability. So I think the trust factor is something that they need to look at and maintain as well.
3: And that's a really hard thing. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I have something really quick to ask you, Sonia. So with all that being said, how do you make work fun? I mean, you know, obviously work sometimes can be you know, an eye roll, right? But you know, how do you make it fun, especially after COVID nineteen, the whole transformation we've had um, in terms of that? You know, what what do you remember about your passion? How you bring it back in? It is trust and collaboration,
1: like. I, I, I always say this, if you are in a good team where people trust you, people are collaborative and we want the project or the program to be successful, you automatically become a high performing team and a great fun team to work with. If I'm stuck with something, Emily can help me or you can help me, Lauren. So we are like we like what we are doing here. We are giving space to each other. We are all contributing to this podcast. Isn't this fun? That's exactly what we,
0: I think we need to do this in the project teams or the program teams as well. Yeah, and I, I think the biggest piece, and then this brings me to this is a really interesting thought I had about a lot of people say they have a team, but then when you start talking to them, it's like, oh, Deborah, she always does this. And Emily, then she always does this piece. And then Sandy always does this piece. Are they really a team or are they three different people? Doing the same things every sprint. <laughs> Are yeah. you really a functioning team? And so building an actual team is different than just saying I'm a team. Mm-hmm. You can say that I'm a, you know, a marathon runner, but if I only run two miles an A, day, I'm not a marathon runner. I can call myself that. So it's the idea of breaking those silos, building a high performance team. That's that there's a whole different skill set in that. And coaching people and scrum masters to build those teams is a whole different skill set. Yep. But making it fun. I love retro mat. you're uh, so retro mat is like 140 ways to do a retrospective. Yep. It has all kinds of activities. Yeah. I mean, I do retro mat, I do all kinds of activities when I have to do any sort of inspect and adapt or anything and I have to facilitate. I've done like the we're doing a movie review. Was this a horror show or is this a comedy? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> like what was the turning point? I make it fun because If you walk into any one of my meetings, it will be different every time. If there's something to be, if there's like something we need to talk about, hey, we'll talk about it all day. We'll make it in the fun. I've done the trust tree with Will Ferrell. (laughs) They all thought it was pretty funny. (laughs) But But that's exactly
1: what's going to break the ice and like make people comfortable. Like you can give a bad review to a movie, not to your sprint. No, of course not. I've had people come and tell me like, oh, why does this happen? Like, oh, that's because you sent a mail saying we have to do it. Or like, can we do it? Like, yes, my question was, can we do it? Not do it. So <laughs> you always <said>, oh, <laughs> come up to me and say we cannot do it. Or, you know, so they were like, are you sure we can come up to you? I'm like, of course you're like, that's why I'm here. I'm here to help you. And the next time they came in and said, okay, I don't think we can accommodate it. I'm like, is that all? Okay, fine. So we sent an email to the product owner explained why it's not, why we cannot accommodate in, uh, in the middle of a sprint, which always happens. And that was as simple as that. And and my team came up to me and said, I cannot believe you were okay with it. I'm like, why? Because traditional PMs don't let us do this. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not your traditional PM then.
2: You're not a PM <laughs> at all. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so, um yeah, we're about 10 minutes away from the hour. So I wanted to take a little bit of time to um, get some advice out of you ladies uh, for those young women out there who are looking to get into a career in Agile. So Lauren, take it away.
3: Okay, so um, Sonia, if I was graduating from college, which I will be within you know less than a year, would you recommend going straight to work or should I continue my education and get my masters mm. what is you know important and i know that's the golden question of um college students is like you know should i take the chance and you know continue on my education or is it more valuable to me in in my career uh, to continue on you know get that hands on work
1: okay so i started working and then i I I did my part-time master's, so it worked out for me. But for you, I would basically ask you, Lauren,
3: one question. Mm -hmm. What do you want to do? Now, that's a question I've been asked many (laughs) many times, right? And it's different, right? From when you, you, if you were to ask me freshman year to now, it would be a totally different question. Mm So what I want to get from you is, you know, what, not kind of like what I should do, but like, what's a good opportunity for me? What do you see being so, successful? I'm a firm
1: believer in a practical experience. So I would personally tell you, like after your college, you know, work more with Deborah. She's got all these amazing clients and, you know, you're already doing great. So work, uh, you know, see what is happening, you know, dabble in a few things, see what you like. I bet you would find what you like very soon, like we all did, right? We we found our calling. And once you do that, there's always time to go back and study. Of course, you've got your foundation, which is your uh, graduate uh, studies done. So that is good. That is very important to be successful, right? And now you're just building on it. So get your practical experience, decide on what you want to do, and then do your master's. Don't do your uh, uh, master's before you know what you want to do. So that way you can specialize it. That's my humble
3: opinion. (laughs) Emily, do you have any second thoughts as well? I would
0: say a couple things. One, the average person has seven careers now. So I work with a lot of World War II vets in my life. They usually had one career. That was in the, you know, the 40s to the 80s or whatever. That was pretty normal. Now people have seven careers. And so you need to be able to reinvent yourself so what I'm saying is, start get some practical experience. Um, when I interview people, one of the first questions I ask, especially if they want to be like a scrum master, they want to be a coach, tell me about some of your experience. Tell me about when you failed. We've all had those projects, right? That those we we've, we've all had one where it's like we learned, okay, yeah. and we can <laughs> we you have to get your feet wet to totally understand it, and then. I, I went back and got my masters when I was 30. And I finished so I had my first baby and then took my um 2 weeks after he was born I took a final. And then 3 months after he was born through no a year after that I finished my masters. So my point is you when you the time is right the time will be right. But you need to do get experience, get skills. And, and do what you like to do. So that, have you read the book, The Strengths and Weakness, The Strength Finder? I'm sure Deborah knows what I'm talking about here, that The Strengths and Weaknesses, The Strength Finder book. But basically what it says, if, find out what your strengths are. And if you try to build those up, you're going to improve. I mean, you're going to make drastic improvements in your strengths. And
3: right. Your so much- I think your confidence level goes up too, once you find your strengths, right? And mm-hmm. then it's the limit after that. So I, I think what you both have said is very valuable, and I'm very thankful you didn't say, "Yeah, go right into getting your master's," because that personally is not for me. I wouldn't continue <laughs> on to that right way. So, thank you very much for that um, insight. Um, and
0: believe in yourself. That's
3: the other thing I would say to yes. you. When yeah, you think especially, about what, especially being woman too. Time after time, I've heard you know, like in high school, believe in yourself. I know you'll get discouraged because you're a woman in STEM, um, you're interested in, in a field that is dominated by men. Um, don't get discouraged by that. Believe in yourself. So thank you. Thank you for reiterating that. That's a very good point. Well, that's um, great. Go ahead, Lauren. Yeah. Well, um, thank you both. Um, I think we are kind of near the end, but last kind of like to wrap up that question, What about for high school students? Is there like a different kind of approach you would say? Because I mean, you know, high school usually traditionally you continue on and you go to college, right? Um, But how um, do you do? They need to go um, to be successful and agile um, throughout their college career if they were to continue. I know
0: one of the most some of the most successful people I know that are retired at my age good Lord, I should have followed their lead. I I found agile 10 years into my career. And then I I haven't left it since. Um, So I was in for 10 years, I was doing, you know, finance stuff. But in high school, he knew how to code. Now I know it's a man, but still like he knew how to code and he would do little extra projects on the side and he figured out. So when he was in college, he did consulting. He created a website and he did consulting on the side. By the time he was out, within two years, he was a vice president of a company. Didn't take very long. He already had the experience. So a lot of times I think people think because they're young that they don't have a valuable skill set. You can go to around here in Indianapolis and across the world and there's 1150 Academy. You can go learn about cybersecurity, 300,000 jobs in the next 18 months they cannot fill because there's not enough people. Coding, all these kinds of things that you can learn over a summer and start doing projects on the side, pick up side freelance gigs, learn, get involved with teams. You don't have to have a degree to do some of this. It's good to have your education, but you don't have to.
2: Yeah, Sandhya, do you think you need to go to college to get into Agile?
1: I think, well, some of the best entrepreneurs we have in this country, probably college dropouts. So I'm not going to advocate that, but definitely uh, good education, at least a high school education is a good foundation. Like what Emily just said about, there are tons of organizations, like uh, especially for girls and boys now, they have about coding, cybersecurity, and this is the time you can focus on something. Once you grow up, you start, to, like what Emily said, having the family and everything, It's really tough because your focus is divided. But now Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I really feel that the food is taken care of. The laundry is taken care of. All you have to do is do what you uh, focus on. Like, I I wish I knew this before. Yeah. (laughs) There's also like (laughs) freecodecamp.com.
0: So if you're in high school right now and you're listening, freecodecamp.com. They teach it to you. Then you work for a non-for-profit and create something and you have a portfolio to show people. Mm -hmm. Imagine applying to college with that. Yeah. You've won. Right. You start doing consulting on the side, you graduate, you're in a senior position. And as a woman, you could beat out, I mean, anybody pretty much.
2: Yeah, I yeah. agree.
0: But it really helps to have that background when you're coaching. So if you want to get into agile, get some skills too. That helps. All, so
3: all, know, the, experience. Out there. all the experience. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the technical, the
2: technical skills and, and knowledge and experiences is, is definitely necessary to be a leader. Yeah. Okay. So I can't believe the hour is almost up and we need to start winding down. I want to thank you both so much for joining us today. It was really fun. It was, it was great having you on the show. Yes, um, Lauren, go ahead.
3: So Sonia, how can you let our audience know how we can get in touch with you? Because it's been great talking with you. And I bet you viewers want to hear more and more and more. So how can we get in touch with you after this? LinkedIn. You can get touch with I'm always
1: active on LinkedIn. I, I might not answer my phone, but I, I look at my LinkedIn a lot.
3: And Emily, you as well. How can the audience reach you?
0: So you can go to, you can always reach out and schedule some time on the calendar. It's agilityconsultinginternational.com. Straight access to my calendar. You can schedule time on it if you want to discuss your career. If you want to discuss, am I ready for transformation? <laughs> like, are we there yet? <laughs> um, or, and a lot of times I help not just agile careers, but general life career kind of things especially in the business world right now with COVID and people changing, but it, you know, it's COVID has prompted people to change. So people are all having all these conversations all the time now, like, is this what I want to keep doing? So feel free to reach out.
2: That's great. I love it. They can get
0: right on your calendar.
2: <laughs> and mm-hmm. Hey, congrats on the, uh, the gold stat. That's great.
0: That's yeah, great. I'm excited. Is that,
2: is that next month?
0: Yeah. October 2nd. So we're going to be that gold SPCT before we're going to be gold and gold SPCT by December.
2: Wow. Great. That's awesome. awesome. I love it. That's a great accomplishment. All right. So just a reminder to our listeners that although this show is live, we do record them and release them as a podcast. So please subscribe to the Learnist show on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google play, iHeartRadio, or your platform of choice. Um, you can find the links to the show on our website, thelearnist.com. That is is L-U-R-N-I-S-T.com. And of course, thank you to our sponsor, Learn Agile. And visit learnagile.com to learn more about what we can do for you and your career in Agile. So that's it for now. Thanks for listening. We will be back in one month at 11 a.m. Arizona time. And thanks again to our special guests today. We really enjoyed having you both on the show. Thank yes, you. thank you too
3: very much mm